Welcome to the Head First Podcast. My name is Joe O'Brien and I'm a health psychologist in training. I'm the founder of Head First, so if you have any professional inquiries, you can contact me through my website, headfirst.ie, or through my Instagram, which is headfirstzero. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So today I am delighted to be joined by Amelia Thompson. We are going to speak about all things related to nutrition, nutrition coaching, um, I guess supporting people, that line between coaching people and psychology and, you know, that big gray area. So with that, first of all, thank you, Amelia, for, you know, taking the time. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I think it would be maybe a good place to start to hear a bit about you, who you are and what you do. So with that, yeah, fire away. Sure. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I'm looking forward to this chat. I am, as you said, I'm a nutrition consultant. So my background is very much in physiology and nutrition. My PhD is in physiology and my master's is in nutrition. And I also, so I work predominantly with one-to-one with people in terms of supporting their relationships with food. So subclinical disordered eating habits uh, tend to be the people that I I work with. And I also run an online education portal, portal and course called EIQ Nutrition, which is like a compassionate, holistic, evidence-based approach to nutrition and I'm also like in the process of studying um, to start my master's in psychotherapy so I'm currently just doing my kind of very prerequisite hours before I start that later this year hopefully Um, and so yeah I think I'm like I'm heavily based in the fitness industry I used to compete in bodybuilding and I have come through that side of things and more recently I have sort of moved because of the types of clients that I work with and the type of work that I do I've moved much more towards the therapeutic side of things I've always used a lot of kind of CBT type techniques within my coaching but obviously within my scope of practice never titled as that and you know more just to support my clients relationships with food so so it's obviously the next step for me is to actually get the formal training behind that because I think obviously that's really what's more important as we're going to talk about today yeah it's it's one of the reasons why like you know I wanted to talk to you for a few reasons one trying to kind of get a gauge on because I don't really know either the kind of scope of practice as a nutritionist or a nutrition coach or even a PT because I know you would have a lot of people in your network that were kind of in that field um but that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to, to speak to you was about that switch that kind of going down this pathway because it's something that's coming up an awful lot more right people are are shifting in that direction so your intention is you're doing prerequisite hours you want to study psychotherapy you're doing you're planning on doing your your master's in that what brought that about where where did that come from or, or what made you want to kind of further your education in that specific field I think for me, the the types of clients that I tend to work with, like I said, are people with subclinical disordered eating habits. So uh, their problems, shall we call them problems, their issues around emotional eating and overeating, they're not related to willpower, drive. Like, of course, most people's, it's not. It's really not related to these things. And, you know, I'm, of course, interested in the evidence-based side of nutrition. But once you have that ticked off, knowledge and education is not the reason why people are struggling with their health. It's not the reason why people are struggling with their eating habits. And of course, I've known that for a while. Um, but for me, really, what I was finding was I work a lot with people who have come out of, say, for example, chronic dieting or competing even and have these disordered relationships with food. And and often, you know, if they have signs of binge eating disorder, I'll refer them through beat GP or uh, therapy. That's generally what I will do. But what I find is that for a lot of these people, they don't get the support that they need from other areas, be that because their BMIs are not within the right range or what they can't afford to go through paid like private therapeutic sessions or, or whatever it is, or a lot of them feel really unseen and unheard because they feel fitness is their identity. And obviously that's something we work to get out of, but they feel really unseen by the traditional approaches to kind of support their relationship with food. And for me, I, it's important to me that obviously I work within my scope of practice. And right now that would not be within my scope of practice to take someone with binge eating disorder and support them through that. Um, And so that is really why I'm doing it because the support is there, but it's not there enough for people who are kind of in that gray area and, 
I think at the moment we they're just kind of left especially people within the fitness space they're kind of left because they are so bombarded with messages almost normalizing a lot of their eating habits it's so normalized to avoid social occasions and so normalized to overeat and we you see the word binge eat so colloquially used and so when I talk about binge eating for example on say on social media or things I do that as a reason as a way to relate to people within the fitness space even though I know that what they're doing, for example, is not necessarily binge eating by definition, but it's so normalized that it's it, it, people don't feel that they need to get professional support. And for a lot of them, they don't need necessarily to go down the GP eating disorder route, but they do need some more support in that. And, and I just feel for me, like I say, I'm very mindful of working within my scope of practice and also being the best at what I can do. And that requires me to go down the psychotherapy route or at least the therapy route to the point where I can I can do that within my scope of practice. Yeah, because what, what you're saying there is like there are obviously people who will be through that cycle and turn up at a coach or a PT or whoever that will need professional support. And it is the minority. But what I'm hearing you say there is the subclinical group who still have those, you know, disordered eating patterns or still struggle with the psychological side of things, but don't meet the requirements or like don't meet the diagnostic criteria. What I'm hearing you say is that those people still need some sort of psychology support, right? It's not just like you either have it and you, you know, need a psychologist or you don't. There's a kind of gray area there. And what I'm wondering there, when you said like, those are the clients you work with, do you think that, Obviously, you're quite insightful. I, I look at your content and I can tell that you, you, you for want of a better word, you're woke to like <laughs> what's, what's, what someone might need in that space, right? Do you think that the types of people you work with are also turning up to the other PTs and coaches out there and they don't have the awareness that this is beyond scope of practice or this is something that needs further support? Absolutely, 100%. I think there are different people within this. I say people as a general term, not specifics here. But we have people who who genuinely do still believe that it's a, a matter of willpower and adherence and education. And, and I'd say education is probably the better coaches out there who, who do have that emphasis. And think that, you know, they, these are the types of people that say, well, I stopped this person from binge eating because I put them on a meal plan for 12 weeks. And this is so prevalent at the moment and it's I, I don't know what the intentions are there I don't like to assume ne like negative intentions here but we know for example you know this very well you, you could put anyone on a meal plan for 12 weeks and stop them from binge eating but that's not doing anything for their actual to solve the problem it's just masking everything and so I think that the people that I work with will go to people like that they will also I think again, because it's so normalized, you know, emotional eating and overeating, binge eating, et cetera, so normalized within the fitness space that um, other coaches will just take people on and just brush it under the rug as adherence. I really do think that. And what I tend to find is I'm often a last case scenario, like the last case, you know, people have gone through a couple of different fitness coaches and they say, oh, I, I did really well for this long. And then this happened. And, and so they've kind of got to that point where they just think oh, I'm willing to bloody meditate if that's what it takes or you know whatever it is they kind of get to that point um and as sad as it may be I think because of my background within fitness and because of my previous history of bodybuilding and stuff people feel they, I guess they feel seen they feel that kind of relatedness that although I don't necessarily put that stuff out there anymore they think well you maybe do understand me because you're not going to just the, the ultimately a lot of the time in fitness there's this underlying fear of if I stop dieting then I'm going to lose my identity and I'm going to gain loads of weight and that side of things which of course we know is not true and actually is not the focus but people sometimes I think need that reassurance yeah, I, I think what you say about the kind of intentions of coaches as well is really important what I think I see because again I feel like a last resort right nobody ever goes to a mental health professional in the first instance with food issues right if you're trying to change your behavior you're not thinking oh psychologist does that so I think what happens sometimes with um coaches nutritionists even you know dietitians across the board is that when they give someone the short-term thing and it does work that's evidence for them that this works. So at the end of their four weeks, their six weeks, their eight weeks, whatever it is, they can say, oh no, it did work. 
and they can kind of take that box. The problem is, I think, loads of people don't see those people coming back because there's a level of shame with that. There's like, okay, I did it for the eight weeks with their support. I can't go back now. And that's why people change so often, I think. Mm -hmm. Like there's very few people out there. I know the people who work with disordered eating tend to work with people for a longer period of time. But there's very few people out there who have like repeat customers or like long-term clients. I think for that reason, because they can, they've shown it works for a short period of time. Therefore I'm doing my job. So again, I don't, I hope that there isn't uh, an ill intention there of taking advantage of people, but I do think people will believe that all my system or my program works because they see it in the short term. Yep. Absolutely. I think there's, I, I like to think that the main, the majority of people are like that in the fitness space. They do have good intentions and they are trying to support people, but you know, I see, I get these people afterwards and it's like I've come through this program and it's not a reflection of the program it's really not in generally it's just a reflection of they've tried all of these programs and yeah I like to believe that the good intentions are there but you know it's it's sometimes I see some content and I think you're I can see these food drills that are coming out of these coaches and I know exactly I'm going to get your clients in six months time I know that they're going to come to me and it can be quite frustrating to see it because some uh, there are a minority that don't really care there are a minority that that make their money from transformations physical transformations and like even the ones that talk about and I've fallen into this before so this is not criticism per se although it is I suppose of myself as well is that will you justify this kind of transformation physical side of things by telling a story and that makes it okay to to highlight how good this physical transformation is by all of this story behind it but ultimately you're still falling into the same trap of you're emphasizing this part of the journey but you're just not emphasizing anything after that because you know what happened after that and the number of people that come to me that I see on coaches who I respect um, I see their physical transformations on their on their pages and they come to me a couple of months later having gained 10 20 kilos from overeating and it's really it's I don't know how as a coach you can ignore that with what good intentions you know you know that's happening but it's almost sometimes I think an accepted byproduct of fitness and dieting and often you see it under the guise of again I've probably done this to some degree in the past but you see it under the guise of well if you want to get that lean then you have to you're not doing it for health so you have to take these as a byproduct and I think how how I understand it because again your intention there as a coach to say well you're doing what this person wants to do this person is telling you they value competing or a photo shoot or whatever it is they value dieting above their health they say that so all you're doing with your good intentions is supporting what they want but I suppose now I'm much more at the space of, well, I can't support that with good intentions, even if they tell me that's what they really want. I question why that is that they really want that. Because you know that you know the where that can go for people. You know that that can lead to or often comes from kind of either internal stuff for themselves or might lead to something down the line. Right. It's actually interesting because I think that's something you posted about and something I use in, in clinic an awful lot is like whose values are these whose beliefs are these and you posted about it recently I don't know if it was yesterday or in the last few days and it's something that I spoke about recently with with um, Sophie Mellon about eating over kind of Easter time and when you say that like the client wants x I'll always question do you want x or has society told you you should have x mm. is it the beliefs that you grew up with is it you know the fact that you were bullied in school and that you know, this goal makes you want to kind of avoid those negative consequences because like we're not inherently born wanting to lose weight or look differently like those beliefs and intentions come from somewhere and i think knowing that when we kind of understand that to some extent you can't in all good conscience like support someone going towards those things knowing that the, the harm that it can cause and reinforce in terms of I guess disordered eating behaviors right yeah absolutely and it's not about being anti-diet or anti-fat loss you know I'm very much pro-choice and and in that sense and it's more the extremes you know if somebody even if somebody comes to you in a healthy I say healthy body size as a general term okay so they don't they won't benefit from drop body fat 
for their health. And they're not, they don't want to get excessively lean, but they still want to drop body fat. Even then, I will very much dig into why that may be, even though I know that it's probably not detrimental to their, their mental health, particularly, you know, it's probably fine. And they're still restricting their dietary intake. And that is one thing that is obviously really important. I think it's forgotten is that ultimately if you're restricting your dietary intake, you're restricting your micronutrient intake and therefore potentially impacting your health. So even the psychological side aside. Um, so I will always, I do always question it. And I think you see, I see it a lot with my clients who just really struggle to stick to a diet. And it's like, that's because you can't ever say to someone, as you know, that's because you don't value that and you value these other things. And that's because it's not, you can't say that. And so, and I'm not a therapist, so I have to be very mindful of how I approach it, but it is very much a case of, you know, consistently questioning, well, but why? And you see this a lot with women who want to be leaner, you know, why do do I want to be, why do you want to be leaner? Oh, because like, I just think I look better but do you actually look better like that? Like, why do you think that you look better? And it's so hard to articulate as a person in their thirties or their twenties, who's, who believes that leaner is better just because it is. How do you then articulate that and question that thought process that you're having? Because I'm not here to say, well, I think a person in a larger body looks better than this. You know, that's not, it's a subjective opinion and I have to be very mindful of putting my own subjective opinion onto other people about physiques and even as a coach who's working with people who have maybe have physicals I will never say you look great if their physique changes it's I'm very very mindful of, of doing that even if that's their goal because it's a very subjective thing right um but I think it's very hard and what amazes me actually and what I love is I work with a lot of girls in their 20s and for them to overcome diet culture at 23 and go suddenly have this realization where they say oh yeah actually I, I have no reason for dieting I'm healthy and I can do all of these other things for me as a woman it's like oh that that's the best thing in the world because I think you can now go and run your business and have great relationships and do all of these things now that you've had that realization and it took me till I was 30 to do that and so it's really nice to see it yeah but again it's one of the reasons why I'm going down this route so that I can see more of that yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible process. I, that's, that's one thing that you really get, I think, from working with people across the board is helping people see a different perspective that gives them more freedom. And I know like freedom from dieting and like for some people that I finish with, the realization that you don't have to eat just to lose weight or like you can exercise because you enjoy it or it gives you something else. It's just like huge for people. Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier about like you know you've given out the bad advice and, and I have as well and like looking back over some of the things that I said I, I hope that what we talk about today doesn't come across as condescending because everyone's been there I guess the purpose of this is to try and help people see I guess before having to have you know 10 years of giving out meal plans that they can realize that some of that stuff is is harmful um I look back at one specific experience of someone who was close to me and I literally like hold my, my head in my hands because I was giving someone like a meal plan and a calorie goal, right? I wasn't qualified in any regard, right? I just was a rugby player who knew a bit about nutrition from doing that. So I was like, oh, try this. And knowing what I know now, like that was harmful. And like, I, I still feel bad over that. But again, it's a, it's a learning process. I guess what this is intended to do is speed up the learning process for, for some people. In terms of what's wrong with some of the support out there, what do you think kind of, what, what do you think are the main areas that are, I guess, ready to change or need to change? A couple of things, I think. I think, mm, let's go with the well-intentioned stuff first. I think fitness has a, a group of well-intentioned, I've been there coaches that really needs to change. And what I mean by that is coaches and personal trainers who have been through disordered eating habits, been through eating disorders, um, and genuinely believe that their methods of coaching are what other people need because they've come through it themselves. And that results in people not referring out, it results in people taking on clients who they shouldn't and exacerbating it. And it's not, well, I suppose it is a criticism, but I think there's a naivety that people think, well, I'm not doing any harm and I think that I can help. But ultimately, if you are giving somebody a meal plan who is 
dealing with binging, for example, you are doing harm. I don't mean, you know, for some people, a generalized meal structure is going to help these people who are binging, right? But I mean, you know, macro targets and structured meal plans. There is a binge eating program that, that provides off plan meals every week within the fitness space. And it's like, it's it you they these people genuinely believe that they're helping people because of the feedback that they're getting but for me it's I, I really struggle with it because it's causing it's prolonging the real support it's prolonging them getting the support they need and actually doing things like of course off plan meals however you word it is still exacerbating the problem and so I think we have a real well-intentioned problem of people taking on people that they shouldn't because of their own past experiences um which is why I probably moan about it quite a lot on social media but there's a reason why that I do even though I sound miserable there's a reason why that and I think that I'm hated by a lot of people because they know that it's them I think it's important I think someone who has come from that space and is going towards like for example training as a therapist I think for you going towards that you're you're I guess putting your hand up to some extent and saying okay I've, I've done this and I know that this knowing what I know now I know it's not helpful and here's what I know now mm. and again it's kind of like boundary setting when you've never boundary like when you've never set boundaries ever before it pisses a lot of people off however sometimes it's important to piss people off in order to you know do the right thing mm. so with your I guess changes i know we're going to touch on some specifics later on but what do you think the main thing has been for you that's changed in that development between you like you know being part of of the i guess the old school fitness industry and then switching down this kind of path is there anything specific that you think has changed for you um do you know what i think my coaching style has changed quite a lot in the sense of now i can work with people for two years and set them macro targets maybe when they first start with me and then never touch their nutrition ever again for two years and I would still say that the work we're doing is nutrition it's still within my scope of practice but the work that we do is around mindfulness it's around self-compassion it's cbt homework it's all that sort of stuff and whereas I think I think beforehand of course it was more of course it was more macro focused and specific target focused and I always felt like I had to do something specific in regards to nutrition to be a nutritionist whereas now I do a lot less of that it's not I don't do it but I do a lot less of that and I think that well I'm just I think in general it's just far more holistic I think that beforehand I would be a lot more scared to set boundaries with clients so for example now if someone came to me and said I was you know I'm overeating for example beforehand I would have said right okay we can we can still diet but we'll do we'll add all this mindfulness work in and we'll do all the self-compassion work and that will justify my reason for still allowing you to potentially pursue dieting whereas now you know I work with a number of coaches who work with me and we have very clear guidelines it's if somebody wants to diet and this is their situation it's a clear no we're not supporting that yet of course in a compassionate person-centered way but as a coaching team, we are very much more, much stricter now. And it stops us from working with a lot of people because they don't get what they want, what they think that they want. Um, but for me now, being so much more informed on this, and I think this comes from a lot of, you know, just general self-esteem. Like personally, I think that comes with that too. But I'm just a lot more clear on my boundaries as a coach and what my coaching team supports. And I think there was a bit of incongruence for me before where I would talk about this sort of stuff on social media, but in the background, if a client really twisted my arm, I would say, okay, let's just do it like this, but we'll, we'll counteract it with other habits. Whereas now it's like, no, this is, this is clear. And I think that's probably been the major change. Um, uh, that's the learning process really, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know, th that process of, okay, now I'm on the fence and now, I'm, you know, in the other or on the other side of the road or you know in the other court mm. I, i'd be interested to know because I, I get this a lot right people might come to me and session five i'll like relate something that they said back to food and i, I get this response a lot it's like oh i forgot i came about food it's like you know because the food is like the expression of the problem and we like get to the problem and talk about the problem um I'd be interested to know why that's reduced in, in your work. Is that kind of reflective of, of what you're doing in terms of people come with nutrition and you keep nutrition in the conversation, but it shifts away from that because that's not where the focus needs yeah. to be for that person. Yeah, it's probably really quite similar, except obviously more within my scope versus your scope, but it's 
very similar in the sense of we most of the conversation we then talk about is is boundaries and things and sometimes actually I was I was writing a, something from one of my clients who's just recently finished up with me and you know her goals were to avoid um, to be able to eat without restrictions basically and stop overeating and things and that was her end her outcome and I was writing a story about how we did it and I thought back to how we did it and I thought to myself I don't quite know what exactly we did but we did something and it worked and I and I think I think that's how a lot of my coaching works now it's kind of like we talk about so many other things that actually when it comes to me as a nutritionist quote-unquote selling what we've done and quantifying that I don't quite know how you quantify that type of thing and I think I think going through the therapy process will be really helpful for me in terms of you know for a personal self-reflection point of view being like I, I know I did something whereas now the scientist still in me the hardcore scientist is like we did these habits but is that what happened yeah. but that's quite nice because <laughs> it's it, it happens a lot it's like for example like in the therapy research we know therapy works we don't specifically know how it works you know there are theories of change and mechanisms of change in different aspects but it's really difficult to quantify and I think a lot of my work is, is reflective of, of that as well it's like we've talked about a specific thing for, you know, 10 sessions, sometimes like 20 sessions, 30 sessions, and the behavior has changed, but we haven't focused on the behavior. And again, it's that internal thing that you just can't measure. I think that's, uh, yeah, it's a fun place to be because on one hand, it leaves you second guessing yourself. Am I doing something here? But on the other hand, it, it maybe, you know, gets to the actual problem and does get the results that the person needs. Yeah. Um, that's reassuring so thanks for that <laughs> okay, yeah no that's that's pretty common as far as I'm aware um I'd love to know how you define the kind of coach role or uh, you said you have kind of have some sort of definition with yourself and the other other coaches that you work with um but I I, I do training for health professionals and within those health professionals there's a lot of personal trainers and coaches there's also nutritionists dietitians specifically there are other coaches or other kind of health professionals as well but they're the main body of people who, who come there's a lot of them come with this pressure to fix everything right someone comes to them and they're like okay i'm emotionally eating i'm binge eating i have lots of stress at work and that's all impacting food or it's all impacting my exercise and my training and there's a lot of coaches that put the pressure on themselves to be like, oh, how, do, how do I help this person with this thing? Rather than like you're explaining there, being able to say, okay, this is what we work on and this is not what we work on and kind of defining that scope of practice. Um, where is the line for you? Or like in terms of the training that you've done nutrition wise, where do you, where do you see your own line actually? Like in terms of the basic training that you've got without any kind of further education or, or stuff like that what what is within the coach's scope of practice to do with a client yeah I think this is is quite blurred and I think it's quite difficult in in fitness for lots of reasons you know for me personally if somebody if somebody has signs of experiencing an eating disorder I will always refer them initially and I will always leave the communication lines open and say I'm referring you for this reason. Um, let me know how that goes. Come back to me, and and we'll discuss it further. But at for, my line is quite strong from the from the get go, just because I'm a registered nutritionist. And what's actually quite frustrating for me is that actually I get asked for advice from people from people who work with people with binge eating disorder within their scope of practice. So you know, therapists, etc. And I have open conversations with them where they say, "Can you?" can you send me x y or z or you spoke about this can you help me and so for me personally I can find that really quite frustrating because I think you're you're qualified and within your scope of practice to work with this person and you and you need to come to me for support when I'm not qualified to do that that's another reason why I'm getting this qualification because I know that I can and that's what I need to be doing um so that's quite frustrating however regardless of that I have quite a strong line um for me I, I do take people who People who, like I say, if they've gone to their GP and their GP says you, you can't get support, then I can I find that very, very frustrating. And what I tend to do is I'll work with somebody in that case and encourage them to self-refer for therapy at the same time. And so then at least I know that they've got that specific, specific support alongside of it. Um, 
And actually what's great is that I recently took on a psychologist who has a who has an undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's in eating disorders. She doesn't work with people with eating disorders, but for people who don't get that support, who I would have originally referred, it's like, okay, well, if they're not getting the support elsewhere, let's see what we can do. But again, I am very clear. If I think you've got an eating disorder, I really can't. I, I will just keep pushing them to get other support until they find the right support. I am very clear with that. Um, in terms of your your basic training does that give you that or is that just because you know like you I know you've done a ton of reading on this and like you have insight on this for the the kind of generic coach out there or the nutritionist out there do you think that they get enough training to firstly identify that but secondly be able to support someone alongside them struggling no not at all so I've taught on personal trainer nutrition like nutrition side of personal trainer courses like the basic levels which doesn't even touch on any of that and I understand why but it doesn't even touch on it I think that I when I taught it I put in like these are these are the referral guidelines and this is who you should refer to etc I did a master's in mine was in sport nutrition but we didn't even cover we covered reds and that was the extent of things reds and maybe HA but even then barely um and so that was a master's um and I've taught on nutrition qualifications at undergraduate level. And I'm pretty sure we don't go into binge eating disorder in those as an example. So I don't think that the education is there. I, I shared the kind of criteria for recently, I think, um, for binge eating disorder. And I said, this should be in your consultancy questionnaires. This should be in your, when you start with clients. And the number of personal trainers that were said to me, this is really useful. I've never seen this before. And that's, and I understand because I hadn't seen it before when I started coaching and I just, you know, that was just like you said, through my own personal reading. So no, the education is not there. And it's one of the reasons why actually we started EIQ is we've got a whole lecture on the, the dark side of dieting and when to refer out and the differences between binge eating and overeating and all of those things that you just don't get. And unless you do EIQ or you, you follow people like yourself or like me who, who talks about this stuff. So this is the problem and it's not a lot of the time it's not the fault of a personal trainer that they don't have that knowledge but we as personal trainers and self-employed people there there is an emphasis on continuing that professional development so you should you should know it but you're not taught it and so I do understand when people don't understand it properly it could because it's not the, the fault of the person um it's like the training programs are I think are letting people down and that's one of the reasons I know why you've set up your thing of I do my own health professionals training for that reason because we need like it's it's a necessity it's not just like an added bonus it is it should be a necessity and I really feel for the personal trainers and the coaches who who are out there who are you know on average I think the the stats are somewhere around 20 to 40 percent of people who identify as using food as comfort right from kind of emotions or whatever and emotional dysregulation is like sky high in weight management services so we know that people who need psychological support will get in touch with personal trainers weight management services etc etc but i really feel for them because i had a pt message me a while back and they told me that someone left their service and left them a horrible review like really nasty saying you know you're not trauma-informed and you're not you know one of the pieces that they said was like you should read this specific author around around trauma and you've made me feel worse and these eating issues have got worse because of your approach and it was a very blamey but I really felt for the the PT because how could they be trauma informed mm. like how could they be expected to um, work with someone like that having never been able to kind of screen for it having never been able to having no education on it essentially so I, I really feel for it because it's 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 a difficult system. And I guess for me, um, it, it makes me, it makes me feel like the whole system is failing everybody, not just the client, but also the personal trainers and the coaches out there, because, you know, is there maybe miseducation? Are the clients not informed mm. of where they should go if they have X, Y, and Z? Because, you know, like I said, a huge percentage of people who turn up to weight management services or, or other will have some sort of disordered eating or emotional regulation issues or, or whatever. What I, the, the difficulty I have is like, where does the responsibility lie? Mm. Is it on the client to seek out the appropriate support or is it on the personal trainer or the coach who maybe doesn't have that 
education is it is the responsibility on them to then identify that and put them in touch with somebody it's so it's so tough and actually when we had this discussion before the, the podcast actually I've written a post on trauma-informed fitness professionals because you know nobody I guarantee most people don't really know what what that means um I think it's really difficult I think that we can't put the responsibility on the client I don't think we can because people I think in general we're trying to people when they reach out for help they're just trying to do anything and people who are dealing with emotional eating you know I know people who have gone to and this is not necessarily clients but personally I know people who have gone to psychologists um hypnotherapists fitness professionals they've tried literally everything and so and so if you if you really struggle with that I think that you will just reach out to anyone and the problem I think a lot of the time is that fitness professionals the there's a big drive especially in the last couple of years on on money on business within fitness and diet culture has of course always been that way and so I understand it's not okay but I understand when people don't do don't do due diligence in that sense it's it's not okay and they are to blame so to speak in that but blaming people doesn't help you know all we can do is focus on the education around it hence why you know we're doing this podcast and it's it's well it's really frustrating because ultimately personal trainers can be people who you know have just interested in the gym they've got no maybe no academic qualifications whatsoever no interest in behavior change or health but they just love going to the gym and you would hope that when they start working as a personal trainer they grow in that sense and they take on clients that fit that mold but a lot of people don't do that and how can we put the responsibility on these people to say well you've passed your qualification you're legally allowed to get insured and to work in this space how can we then say this is all your fault yeah it's it even though i do hold these i do hold people responsible for this it's not a this is not a personal thing i think it's it's just it's a real shame and I think awareness is all we can really do and to a lot of people's credit you know I've had people message me and say where do I refer to what do I do if someone says their GP won't help them and beat won't help them what what do I do next and those are the people I really feel for because I think what you know it's, it's a struggle what I think well, what do I do next in that situation um I think it, I think it again maybe it comes back to well, the problem is in the system, in the accreditation or the training, like, again, I'm not going to blame PTs or coaches or anyone else. Similarly, I'm not going to blame the client for not knowing where to turn. It's a super complicated area, but it's in the regulation and the training. And I think in the absence of that, like, I love hearing from coaches who are like, I have a client doing X, Y, and Z. What do I do? And being able to inform there, but it kind of comes back to boundaries. So if you are listening to this, I think knowing kind of what you said, having the criteria of what I do and don't do. If you present with X, Y, and Z being like disordered eating or, you know, the areas that you're not qualified to go in, being able to say to a client, okay, that's not something I work with. And the second part being able to say, but I have these professional links. And that's when you have a team around you that you say, okay, I know Joe, he works in mental health and I can refer to him. Or I know Amelia and she works on the nutrition side of things and I can refer to her having those professional networks and also boundaries to say that's not something I work on um I think is really really important so if you are listening to this having those will be super super important anything else you'd kind of add to that I think I think we have to uh, coming back to kind of the trauma-informed stuff I think we have to be much more mindful within the fitness space of the fact that we are probably a space we are the majority of people have experienced trauma because of the benefit of physical activity to people as an adjunct to mental health support the benefit of physical activity is huge and we see this a lot with kind of certain health conditions like chronic pain or PCOS these sorts of things we have a disproportionately large number of people in this space because of the type of work that we do and I think that we have to start recognizing that and I use PCOS as an example here because it's something we teach on EIQ nutrition. So the prevalence of PCOS in the average population is, I think it's six to 10%. But if you look at the fitness space, I would say, I would say about 40, 45% of my clients have PCOS because 
they are an increased risk of binging, of obesity, of negative body image. So they fall into our space. And we, I think, as an industry, have to recognise our pool of people probably is more likely to have experienced trauma, is more likely to be dealing with emotional eating and disordered eating than the general population. So ignoring it and brushing it under the rug and trying to frame it as let's just work on your fat loss or let's just stick you on a meal plan it's not good enough and and I think just awareness of it it's not saying you need to do something different other than just be aware and like you said know when to refer out is obviously really important yeah I think that is is super accurate you know the ACEs trial adverse childhood experiences research I think I'm not going to pluck figures off the top of my head because I can't remember them, but it was something incredibly prevalent, something like one in three, one in four, one in five, one in six of people who struggle with um, overweight or obesity or fall into those categories on the BMI um, scale will have experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. So yeah, it, it's kind of like that quote that you do see online. Like if you work with people, you work with, with trauma. Um, and I think that even just the awareness of that and the intention to further your training or your education is really, really important. Mm-hmm. In terms of your own furthering your, your education and stuff like that, you've had quite a journey. You've gone from the whole bodybuilding scene to training to a psychotherapist. What have you learned? What's changed for you in that time, do you think? I've learned that it's not really about food. I think for me personally, uh, like my, without going into all of the details, I'm, I'm really mindful of it, all the work that I do not coming through my own lens because of my own story. But a lot of it is similar to a lot of obviously my clients. And for me, mine, I used to binge eat regularly. I would have said when I was 18, that I had binge eating disorder, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't get any professional support for it. Um, but my family had a tra- traumatic time when I was say 16 and um food was very much for me my coping mechanism and that's why I fell into, into binge eating and it took me until I was 30 and started doing all of this work to recognize what food was for me and recognize that it wasn't about food so even up until that point I was doing things like mindfulness work and mindful eating and really still trying to manipulate my food as a way to change my eating habits and then and then you know what as I got more into this research I realized it wasn't anything to do with that really at all obviously there are certain nutritional strategies that we use of course and mindfulness is very important for a lot of people but it's not the be all end all so I think that's the biggest thing for me I can look back and say bodybuilding was a way of was my way of control bodybuilding controlling my body under exercising all of this stuff was a way of controlling my uh, emotions and I didn't I was not vulnerable I was not open until I was 30 and I think that's a really clear a really clear thing for me and it's obviously what has pushed me down the therapeutic route now because I'm very aware of the impact that that has um but like I say I'm very mindful of not putting that onto other people and uh, obviously when I work with people I'm very mindful of the of transference and kind of not saying this is what fixed me so to speak but I do think that's where it all lies I think the awareness is the key part right it's it's when you're not aware of it is when you'll push those views or those beliefs onto clients whether that be consciously or or subconsciously so just having the awareness to know what's going on and what it was for you and you know bring that experience I think um what about would you do things differently if you were back there or like for the people who are there now what would you have done differently or what would you advise other people to to do in those situations because it's it's super common again in the fitness industry it's it's praised and it's applauded as discipline and hard work but for you know we know the stats on disordered eating patterns in bodybuilders and um kind of competitors what would you say to to those people yeah I mean, I wouldn't do anything differently, partly because it's what got me here, but also because at the time there, there was no, there was, the education wasn't there. I, I, when I started the mindfulness work, for example, which everyone talks about now, but when I was competing, I was just looking up the, you know, the mindfulness-based eating awareness training program around um, people who are overweight or obese, who binge eat, because in fitness, nobody spoke about it. So there's no way I could do anything different other than just delve into the research and try and figure it out for myself. And so that I wouldn't change but 
I think now the the information is there and if you're if somebody's listening to this podcast there's somebody that's already doing the work that they need to be doing because they're they're educating themselves on it and I think I wish and I, this is kind of a long-term goal for me in the future to there was a program for personal trainers that as soon as they finish or within their personal trainer qualification it's like a next step this is like holistic nutrition this is what you need to know before you can even work with clients and I, I and that's what I would love people to do is just to recognize that the personal trainer part is just a tick box you need to you really need to go and start learning about this stuff and not shut off to the pastel colors on Instagram and the potential anti-diet messages that are hidden in there. You can't close off to that stuff because there are important parts of that, even if you don't agree with all of it. And I think that's, you know, we see that a lot. The It's like the anti-diet movement or diet movement and the, the lack of nuance in between. I would love for people just to take more care more about the nuance rather than the engagement that comes from the non-nuanced discussion. It gets really hard though, right? There's everyone's shouting at each other rather than being like, oh, I know why you see this. Here's what I see. And like this, you know, it, social media isn't the best place to have a, an educated back and forth conversation about those things. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of aware of the time and I did want to kind of touch on part of those change in beliefs from, you know, let's say back then to, to now and how your perspective has changed on some of these common things that we see in the fitness industry and the health industry. So with that in mind, how has your perspective changed on, I'm going to start on, on different topics and just go with it and see where you go with it. Um, how has your perspective changed on calorie tracking? Um, so I used to think that you couldn't intuitively eat without first knowing macros and calories. I used to think that was a prerequisite to being able to eat intuitively uh, to, to some degree. And now I don't think that. So tracking is helpful for some people, not for some. I, I, tra- I have a lot fewer clients who track these days than I did before. And what do you think brought, has brought about that change? Um, awareness, education, um, stepping out of my own ego for a little bit. And um, I think confidence in myself in terms of my role, I don't have the fear that I'm useless without calorie tracking, which is a lot of people in the fitness industry. And I understand the fear of not being needed because you don't help someone stick to macros. So that idea of if I don't give them macros, what can I add? Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, oh God, I have to change someone's macros. Like we've got all of these other things to do. So I think that's a confidence thing though. That's interesting because that's something I hadn't heard from a coach yet. Um, What about how your perspective has changed on like self-weighing? It has changed at all. It doesn't have to. Do you know what? It it actually hasn't. I've never required it from people. Uh, It's always been an option for me. So um, yeah, I don't. changed. What about uh, kind of the competing side of things, bodybuilding, bikini competitions, etc.? Yeah, that's changed. So I used to be very much it each to their own and I'll support someone if they want to do something. Whereas now I'm very, I, more recently, I've been very vocal in the fact that I truly believe you cannot compete without a detriment to your health in some way, shape or form. And before I was kind of like, oh, we, we can do these things to help manage it. And it's a short term thing for your health. And it's like, no, no, this is a, any short term deviation in your health could potentially contribute to long term disturbances in your health. You cannot deny the impact of these micro doses of really poor health on the whole macro side of your life. So I am a lot more vocal in that and I don't take on people who compete anymore. And I'm a lot more vocal in that before I tried to keep everyone happy because I didn't want to separate myself because I know that actually I'm needed in that space for people who struggle afterwards. So I never wanted to be to look like I was slating it because the gen- it was genuinely because I didn't want competitors to feel that I was too detached because I know that I can help them. Whereas now it's more important for me to be quite, to be more vocal on that and and hope that people can understand and still, I'll still be there for them when they come out the other side of it. Well, um, that's quite a change. Yeah. Um, dieting and weight loss. Now we probably could do a separate podcast on this, but how has your perspective changed on, or if it has at all on dieting slash the pursuit of weight loss? Mm-hmm. So I'm still, I still support people if they have a goal of weight loss. Um, but I challenge it a lot more from people who are in, who don't need to, don't get a health benefit from dropping body fat. I challenge it almost weekly 
I never um, assume fat loss when I used to coach and you see this a lot of fitness you assume fat loss when someone comes to you and um, I never do that anymore and yeah I think I'm just a lot more questioning of it and I, and I very much relate it to values all of the time now and really delve into that I get a lot of clients who, who diet for like four weeks and then they're like oh now I see what you mean and then they start dieting <laughs> that's great has your perspective changed at all on before and after photos? I know you've spoken about this, the before and after kind of comparison photos, or even just more broadly, the body focused photos. I know you speak a lot about objectification and things like that. How has your perspective changed on those? Mm, yeah. So I don't personally post them anymore and I don't, I kind of, I am still open to, if you, have a story behind it and you still work with this client and you support them. I don't judge people for that. I understand it. Um, I don't do it myself. And because I think that anything that puts the emphasis on the body as a means of health, to me, is not helpful. Regardless of what waffle you put underneath it, you are still saying, and I understand Instagram is a visual platform, but there are so many other ways to do it. And, you know, if I ever talk about my clients, which I do sometimes, it's picture of them drinking a glass of wine or you know there's so many other ways to be visual other than transformations and ultimately the, the background to a transformation photo is money and I don't like and that's that's okay I like I sell uh, it's not a criticism of that but I just I think that when we equate health or food relationships to bodies it's a really toxic narrative to compound so I, yeah I often I see that myself actually people think that when they improve their relationship with food, all my body will change. And I think removing that kind of correlation between the two in someone's mind is, is really helpful. It's letting go of the idea that this is for my body to change or the emphasis here, why I'm doing all the work is for my body to change. I think that's possibly a kind of harmful piece. Mm. Amelia, that was really insightful. Um, I learned a lot. Um, anything you want to kind of wrap up with or anything like even just letting people know where you're at and how to kind of contact you sure so best place to contact me is instagram is emilia thompson phd or eiq nutrition if you're a fitness professional and, and you do want to learn more this is the type of conversation that we have on eiq quite a lot i run it with emma story gordon and she is much more fat loss focused so we have a lot of debates and it's it's nice actually because we come at it from very different angles so i would really strongly recommend that too Amelia, thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate that I said I'd keep it to a certain time. We've gone over that time. Um, but thank you so much for, for taking the, the opportunity to, to chat with me. I know your, your time is precious. So I'm sure lots of people will have got lots of value. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.